0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the No Recipe Required Podcast. This week, I'm interviewing Cheryl Appleton, who is the founder and president of Canadian Women in Food. We talk about the origins and mission of the organization. Uh, she talks about how they support women in creating a food-based business, um, whether that's home-based or not. Uh, we talk a little bit about feeding seniors, how to turn one meal into many meals, um, how and why why you should use pan drippings in your cooking, and how to churn uh, cheap ramen noodles into a tasty dish. So we cover lots of different kinds of topics. She also shares with us her banana bread recipe, uh, which um, is really, really low, or actually has no sugar in it at all, um, and gives us all a challenge to bake some banana bread from scratch. So please enjoy this week's episode with Cheryl Appleton. Uh, This week, my guest is Cheryl Appleton, who is the founder of an organization called Canadian Women in Food. Welcome to the podcast, Cheryl. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So glad to be here. Yeah, we actually met at Rorschach Brewery here in Toronto a couple of years ago. I entered a contest, a baking contest, and you handed me your card and I was like petrified. I'm like, why is this person handing me your card? What does this mean? Like, am I supposed to start baking for real now and not just (laughs) not just for fun? So tell me about uh, the organization.
1: Well, you know, just to sort of fill in the gaps on, on that story, um, you know, you're, you're baking that day at the brewery. I mean, it was just, it was fantastic. And uh, yes, I could see the fear in your eyes. We, we do kind of have that effect on people because we're so enthusiastic about food and particularly supporting women in food. Um, so what is Canadian Women in Food? I mean, we, we started up uh, back in 2014, And essentially what we are is we're a national association representing women who own their own businesses in the food and beverage space. And and so our members, uh, we've got over 250 of them across the country. They represent everything from being, um, you know, really, really small startups to somebody just thinking about a business all the way up to uh, national and even globally recognized brands and all points in between. So it's a really, really great mix. And we're there to um, really help support our members in a couple of key areas. Uh, One is to provide them with the support um, when they need it. Because as entrepreneurs, you know, it's a case of I need to know this right now. Where do Mm -hmm. I find, you know, somebody to do a bottle or a label or this or that? So we support them in that way. We also create meaningful connections amongst the members themselves for collaboration opportunities, and there's some education, teaching components, and also sales and marketing. So we help to promote our members because oftentimes we as women, we're not um, as good at promoting ourselves. So we don't oftentimes see the need to promote our business and ourselves and our personas, perhaps as much as we should be. So we're, we're there to, to, to help um, nudge our members along in that regard.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think not just in the food business, but in business in general, women are often not very good at promoting themselves and, and standing up and putting themselves out there and saying, Hey, you know, I'm worth, you know, taking a chance on or I'm worth spending money on that kind of thing. So it's, uh, uh, I can see definitely see the benefit of an organization like that. If I just take a step back for a second, how did you get involved in that? And like, what's your background in terms of food or cooking or business, like, where do you come to this from?
1: Well, that's a, that's actually an excellent question. And, um, you know, when I describe my background, people go, well, that's kind of interesting. I've actually spent about 30 years in food. Um, But interestingly enough, it was from the supply chain and procurement perspective. So I was a, a professional buyer for most of my career and and so i worked a variety of corporate positions i actually didn't own my own business in food and in that time i had been a part of a lot of different organizations to to help my career to further my volunteering and they were generally centered around the food industry and then one night i was out to to dinner with a bunch of women as we oftentimes uh, like to do sharing a glass of wine and and uh and basically talking about all the different organizations that were out there and what was lacking and and so some of the women at the table were women who owned their own businesses and, and they started to talk about you know there really isn't anything out there to help support women who support who own their own businesses and it was kind of i responded with uh, yeah you know you're right and they said you know we should really get out there and create something then and and i responded with yeah you know, you're right. And then they turned around and they looked at me and they said, "And Cheryl, they said you should lead it." <laughs> and the words didn't come out of my mouth. I was stunned and shocked. So that was my, you know, that was my voluntold moment. And and I'm so glad. Um, I'm so glad that it happened to me because, really, you know, now sort of post corporate career, it is my full time passion. You know, this is really what it is that I do. Um, And with over 250 members that we've grown over the course of seven years, you know, there's there's a lot of time and attention that that it needs.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, So what suggestions do you have for people who are looking to start uh, like a home based food business or just a food business in general, whether it's home based or not?
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, the interesting thing is that there's still not a lot of information out there. Um, and and information is really important when you're trying to manage a business. Uh, Particularly during the pandemic, um, a lot of people have started up businesses. They started baking at home, and then they started selling their loaves of bread on the Internet. Well, you know, you actually have to have a license in order to sell food. Um, You have to have a license to do a lot of things. Um, so the, the best advice that that I can always suggest is ensure that you connect with your municipality. So here in the city of Toronto, where, where I'm situated, is you need to ensure that you have the right license, not only to operate a business, number one, um, but that you have a license to operate a food business um, and that you've gone through that process before you start, you know, baking loaves and selling them on the Internet. I have a fun little sideline hustle and Instagram page that, that was created for me by a friend of mine that's called the Banana Bread House because I love baking banana bread. Um, but none of the breads that I've ever made have ever been for sale because I don't actually have a license. So I give them away and I share them with family. And it's all about helping to bring attention to the idea of, of ending food waste. Um, but it's just for fun. On the other hand, there are a lot of people who take their their you know their home food preparation activity seriously then they really need to take the next step and and to follow the process to ensure that they're feeding people safely. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day they'll be grateful for it because they'll have the right type of uh, protections in place and the right kind of insurance uh, to protect their business overall
0: Right. I just completed my food handler certification course uh, a couple, maybe a month or two ago. Um, And it was really eye opening in terms of, you know, understanding. I mean, I thought I knew a lot of that stuff already just from cooking, you know, all my life. Um, But just being able to keep items safe Uh, And recognizing that my apartment or my condo really isn't set up for, first of all, for large scale production of any kind. So even if I had a license, I don't think I could be running anything out of my apartment. And the fact that I have a cat, (laughs) you know, running around the place, it's like, no, you can't really have animals in your house in the area where you're preparing food and a lot of other uh, regulations around having to have a separate kitchen. Uh, in order to do food preparation for things that you're going to be selling, people. Um,
1: so that was a real eye-opening thing for me. Yeah, and and during the pandemic, you know, the province loosened restrictions in this aspect, and so there was a lot of questions, particularly from our our membership, because it can be very costly to go out and and lease space from a um, lease commercial space in order to do production. Um, but interestingly enough. There was only one of our members who actually happened to be a chef who had a kitchen, which was quite frankly, uh, it, was, it was so tricked out, <laughs> everything in it, um, that it was really the only space that, um, and uh, Toronto Health came in, they inspected and everything, um, that uh, it was the only space that could actually be approved for production during a pandemic. Oh, Um, but it was, I mean, it was to a standard that was beyond most of our dreams to have. And this was, this was their home kitchen. That was their home kitchen. Okay. But that was someone who was already happened to be a chef. So um you know they uh, they had created their own kitchen to spec to begin with yeah
0: i think they did ontario the province of ontario did loosen restrictions around things that they considered to be low risk like preserves and pickles and i forget what else was included in that yeah. list of things that you were allowed to actually make at home and didn't need to have a commercial kitchen but that didn't mean that you didn't have a, have to have a business license correct like you still had to have the license to sell
1: that's right. That's right. And so for Chef Susu, um, she sells her um, her kimchi's um, uh, both online and also through some of the farmers markets. But it's, you know, it's a proper business, proper labeling. You know, there's all the nutrition facts. Uh, you know, it's It's incredibly complex running a food business. It's so much easier to just make meals for people you love and, you know, you have an adoring and appreciative audience.
0: Yeah, that's kind of where I am. That's, you know, I have a few people who, you know, maybe subsidize my ingredients and things like that. But generally, it's just friends and family I'm making food for. And that's just to pass the time, (laughs) because I retired at the beginning, like right before the pandemic hit. You know, thinking, oh, I'm going to start up some food-based business, and I wasn't quite sure what I was going to do. And then, of course, the world shut down like about a month after I retired. So it was uh, all of a sudden, it's like, oh, okay. And then, as you know, the food world and restaurant world and everything around the service industry completely changed as a result of the pandemic. So I think people are still trying to figure out what to do next and how to adapt or change direction or whatever as a result of of the pandemic. Are you seeing your
1: membership increasing as a result of that? There was no question. During the early days of the pandemic, when when people had more time, our numbers increased because people were looking for things to do. And so we added in some, some innovations. We have weekly Zoom meetings we call Monday Morning Manager. From time to time, we'll have subject matter experts uh, stop in. We record those sessions. So that's very popular for our members because I've never met a woman in food who wasn't run off her feet. You know, it's it's not easy balancing big jobs with little babies. And for many of us like yourself um, uh, and myself, you know, our parents have reached the age where they need more time and attention as well. So, so for a lot of our members, they spent a good amount of time during the pandemic pivoting their businesses. Um, and so now we're starting to see, um, you know, which operators are coming out the other side and they're stronger than they've ever been before. And really, it's, it's been an incredibly creative time because people feel unleashed in a lot of ways. Um, and uh, so that's incredibly empowering. And, and we love to see that. My personal view on the food industry is that even though fine dining has gone sort of the way of the dodo bird, um, what will increase in terms of services um, is the feeding of seniors. I mean, uh, just this morning, um, I dropped off about eight different meals uh, to my mother-in-law, who, you know, is into her 80s, has just come home from the hospital um, after suffering um, uh, congestive heart failure. And so, you know, needs to eat sodium-free, lower-fat meals that are still tasty and yummy. And she's a gourmand. I mean, this is a woman who would go out to restaurants on a weekly basis uh, prior to this point. So she's a little bit housebound, and uh, and and needs some yummy stuff. So I've taken on the role of of. Um, helping uh, to support the family in this way. It's something that I can do because I Mm -hmm. love to cook.
0: Yeah, and that's definitely a big thing that's happened, you know, with respect to the pandemic is that people are rethinking moving into long-term care. Or they want to stay in their houses as long as possible or, the, you know, wherever their home is, they want to stay in their home as long as possible, but they do need that support. You know, I've had inquiries from friends recently who have aging parents who are like, can you give me some ideas of recipes that I can make and and deliver to them and or, or freeze for them or whatever, um, you know, and there's a, a big demand for that now because we're trying to help people stay in their home as long as possible, because we know how horrible some people's experience can be in long-term care. You know, my mother was in long-term care. My uncle was in long-term care. My aunt was in long-term care. They, all three of them got very different levels of care, depending on the, the residence that they were in. And, uh, and food is definitely one of those things that they complained about more than anything uh, that they, you know, didn't really get the food that they remember from, you know, or the food that they used to make. Cause my mom was a fantastic cook. My aunt was a great cook as well. And, you know, they were used to eating really good food. And now they're, then they're in a place it's like, oh, maybe the food's not so great anymore. So tell me about your cooking. Tell me about what you like to cook. Um, what can you cook? Like maybe early memories of things you make that you can do
1: by heart now that you never have to look at a recipe to make. Well, you know, it's, um, I, I, I have to, you know, full disclosure, my mom was a terrible cook. <laughs> <laughs> she really was. she ruined a lot of veggies. I mean, we were very much a meat and potatoes family. And we survived on a lot of TV dinners growing up. So so I think really my early experiences with, with food. But my mom could make a couple of good things. She made a really good uh, rhubarb pie. Um, That was something that she could make that was just phenomenal were her pies. Um, She had really excellent pastry. And to this day, I'm still a little bit of a pastry snob as a a result. And I've been a butter tart judge. So I can honestly say that, you know, I've tasted my fair share of uh, pastry. Um, But my first experience with a variety of food was when I studied for my first degree downtown at Ryerson. And we still lived at home all the way out in the far east end of Scarborough. So I would bring foods home that we never had in our families, you know, curries and Thai food and so on and so forth. And my brothers were still living at home as well. And so stuff I would bring into the fridge, you know, you'd open the fridge the next day and it'd be half gone. So, you know, hey, you know, so you start, you know, you start replicating what you see in in restaurants. And that's really sort of where it all began. But it was a few years ago that sort of my 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 passion and my philosophy around food really changed when a friend of mine gave me a book called *The Everlasting Meal* by Tamar Adler, and and it was more about um, it was it was sort of on the edge of the whole um, you know nose to tail type of cooking, really where butchers were starting to. You know, use the entire um, uh, animal, for example, for cooking. And we are meatitarians in in our house. Unfortunately, I feel as though I have to apologize for that because we do try to um, uh, mix in a lot of vegetarian. But um, but anyhow, um, most of our dishes are very meat focused. So so this was this was a great read, um, an everlasting meal, and and it really helped me to discover, um, you know cooking where you know you're not just making one meal but you're that meal can then transform to become other meals and and so people are all amazed always amazed that when I pick up a single roast or pick up a single chicken how that becomes transformed into all these other different meals which began in this one place and you don't really think about it at the time but it matters so much net more now post-pandemic that it really actually even helps to stretch your dollars further. And so that's where I fell in love with the whole idea of frond, you know, oh, okay. F-R-O-N-D-S. F-R-O-N-D-S. That's yes, right.
0: fronds. So tell me
1: about fronds and what that is. So pan drippings very, very simply and, and how to make the best possible pan dripping, you know, you've got your chicken and brushing it with olive oil um, and you know adding your herbs and perhaps a little bit of mustard before you before you roast it so that you've got these wonderful drippings left over and and um, you know I would save those drippings and then use a portion of it again when I was making something else um, to saute onions and saute garlic and peppers together and add that to some rice um, and uh, actually last night that's how I made some Singaporean uh, fried noodles. Um, I just took some you know those instant ramen noodles you can get at the grocery store. I think they sell them something like you know yeah. five for four dollars yeah something yeah like that. Um, I always toss out well I don't toss it I set it aside to give it away but um, the, the flavor packets you yeah. know I don't need the the sodium and the spices. Um, so last night what I did is I had some frond left over from a meal put that into a pan, put in some a couple of onions, some garlic, um, some fresh peppers picked up at the farmer's market on the weekend, and uh, separately just sort of lightly brought to a boil the noodles so that they were still a little firm. And then um, once the noodles were firm, add them into the pan with a little bit of uh, unsalted butter in there, and then just just a fry up the noodles a little bit with all that oniony garlic Mm. goodness. And, um, and then added just a little bit of uh, some curry powder to it and some cayenne pepper to give it a little bit of zip. And that became, um, the base for a meal that, uh, you know, went over to my mother-in-law's place because it was no sodium added. And, uh, and as I'm making this up, and I'm portioning it out into trays, and I, you know, took a took a fortful because you always got to taste what you've made, of course, and like, I was, I was looking at this, and I was going, I usually set it make enough to set aside for me. <laughs> there was, wasn't anything left. So it was like, okay, this, this, this was magic. I got to make this again. So you know, yes. it was just something that was kind of inspired. I don't know. I had it a long, long time ago from a Chinese restaurant that's no longer around anymore, unfortunately, and and just decided in that moment, I would recreate it um, just out of the love and the care um, for my mother-in-law, who's such a wonderful person, to give her something that, because she used to buy from the same uh, restaurant, that uh, to sort of sneak it in there and see right. if uh, she would go, oh, wow. Yeah. Memories of, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's funny that you mention about fronds because usually I just use up whatever is in the bottom of the pan. And like you said, you cook a roast chicken uh, and there's stuff left over. You use that and you use the chicken for the meal that night, plus all the leftovers and all the other kinds of things and the carcass to make stock and all of that. Um, And it all of a sudden you just kind of brought up a memory for me that my mom used to just keep a jar of drippings in the fridge and every roast she would take whatever drippings were in that jar and throw it in the pan with whatever she was roasting so unfortunately sometimes the beef roast tasted a bit like pork because it had pork drippings from the previous roast. And then, you know, maybe the Turkey had a bit of a beef flavor to it because it had some beef drippings, I guess she could have probably separated them out, but we just kept adding and adding and adding. And I think my cousin even had, when she, um, uh, when her mom moved into long term care and uh, she, you know, they had to empty out her fridge, she had like this jar of stuff that she'd had for years and years and years. And I'm sure my mom had the same, like this same jar of stuff for years and years and years that you just keep refilling and refilling and refilling and keep reusing every time you make a roast. So uh, I don't have that in my fridge right now. I need to start doing that. I think because I typically use it all every time I make it. And that's maybe the reason why I don't have the, like the big jar of drippings in my fridge. Like I should.
1: Well, I keep little jars. I do separate them because you're absolutely right. I don't want the chicken to taste like beef or or any of that other stuff, but but and, and when you have a little little jar, I mean, bacon drippings are come on, they're just the best, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, is that, you know, it's wonderful uh, because if you if you have something where you're going to roast a veggie, um, you know, you let that dripping warm up a little bit and then you could just brush it on before roasting. Um, and there you go. I mean, you can you can get away without doing a whole lot of other wacky things um, because you've, you've got it right there. You just brush it on and away you go.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I guess it's tough for people who don't cook meat because then they never get, can you do something like that even with just veggies? Do you think, well, how would you do that? It, it needs to be, it needs to have the fat, right? So, um, so could you do like veggies in olive oil? Uh, or, or even in shortening, um, not, probably not the best thing, but that would at least be solid
1: um, once it chills, or I would say probably olive oil, maybe butter. You know what works really well, which is, which is an amazing combination, which is, I've come to discover. I don't know if you're familiar with Duca. No, I'm not. Mm, yeah. So if you're Australian, you would know what dukkah is, or if you're from the Middle East, you would probably make your own. But dukkah is this amazing combination of of um, uh, toasted nuts, seeds, sesame seeds, and spices. Mm-hmm. And and you take that, and when you combine that combination, just a small amount, like a, a barely a half a teaspoonful, but when you combine that with a fat like an olive oil. And, and so if you take any kind of like just ordinary carrots, you know, toss them in a little bit of olive oil, sprinkle some dukkah on top, which could have pistachio in it, it could have hazelnut, it could have almond, whatever your favorite nut could be in there. And I know a Canadian woman in food who creates the most amazing dukkah that you could buy um, is uh, Julie from Zambinelli Fine Foods. And it's just, it's so easy because if you're vegan or vegetarian, um, it's also naturally gluten free as well. So you just take a little bit of that, sprinkle it on your veggie before roasting. And then you've got all these wonderful drippings that are left over, which is the olive oil with the duca blended into it. And if you don't stand there over the pan, you know, with your spoon, <laughs> wanting to eat it all. Okay, then there's got to be something wrong with you because it's just it's there's just that amazing thing that happens with the nuts in combination with the fat and the heat and the vegetable.
0: That's a really good tip, because I'm always looking for something like how do you add flavor to a veggie dish? Um, And so this would, I guess, be almost like an equivalent of the meat fronds. But for vegetarians, if you save that uh, after you finish cooking the veg. So, I mean, may, may, maybe even base your, just your basic mirepoix, right? Like the carrots, onions, and celery and cook that with a bunch of olive oil and some of that duca, and then serve the veggies, but save the, save the leftover drippings.
1: I think that would be really good. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And duca is like so versatile. Um, I mean, it's the sort of thing you can sprinkle on top of eggs. Uh, you can put it on popcorn, you know, it's just it's just this incredible combination because it's nuts and seeds and a little bit of spice. So you get a real nice um, flavor hit with it. Um, some people aren't too fussy on things like cardamom and and you know so some of the spices. So you got to try it first, but it's just outstanding. And and it's known as a Middle Eastern snack food. It's the sort of thing that a lot of people just would take a piece of bread. Um, you dip it into olive oil and then you dip it in uh, duca, and then you just eat it like that. But That's... on roasted, when you add it to meats or even, um, especially to vegetables, but when you add it to anything before roasting, it is just outstanding out of this world. Hmm. Okay. I talk I about have... food all day.
0: Yeah. I'll have to look for that. How do you spell that? Like D-U-C-A Duca?
1: It's uh, D U K K A. Oh, D U K K A. Okay. Yeah, and if you go to uh, Zambinelli Fine Foods dot um, uh, com, um, it's either com or ca. Um, you can find it there. There's three versions. I think she's also selling at McEwen Foods and some places locally in Leslieville as well.
0: Oh, that's where I live. So hey. I have to uh, I have to look around and see if I can find it. Awesome. Cool. So what is, uh, I'm just going to ask you like maybe one final question. Um, what's one recipe free challenge that you can give to our listeners, have them make something without consulting a recipe.
1: I think banana bread is, um, you know, is gotta be one of the easiest sort of recipes that you can do without consulting a recipe. And um, um, my favorite banana bread recipe has got uh, a little trick to it. It was a recipe that um, I actually found in a book uh, nearly 30 years ago when my my first job was working for um, um, uh, maple leaf grocery products. And at the time that business, it's it's not around today, it got bought up, but um, at the time we made uh, added touch uh, cake mixes. If oh, I remember remembers. those. Yeah, 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 I do remember
0: those. They had yeah. pudding in the mix or something, right? Is yeah. that what
1: added touch was? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. And um, um, so I it was my first job out of school, I kind of fell into uh, a procurement role. And, uh, and so the the plant where we produced these cake mixes was out in Etobicoke. So the company at the time, this division of business, um, they produced a cookbook. And it was really neat because there were some different ideas in it. And, and this um, recipe for banana bread was interesting because it didn't use any butter. Hmm. It used a half a cup of mayonnaise. Oh, yeah. Actually, it called for salad dressing. But I don't use salad dressing because I grew up on Miracle Whip and oh, I yeah, just don't, I don't want remember. to go there yet. Yeah. So <laughs> it's got to be, you know, Hellman's or Bust. I'm just saying. Yeah. Anyhow. And so so over the course of time, I've really adapted uh, uh, the recipe um, because uh, in our household, we don't make anything that has added sugar. So we don't use any sugar to it. So it's very simple recipe. A cup of flour. um, You get your three ripe bananas. You put them into a mixer, one egg, half a cup of mayo. That's your wet ingredients Mm -hmm. right there. Your dry ingredients is um, a cup of flour, a teaspoon of baking soda, teaspoon of salt. Then it gets interesting. I put in a teaspoon of dry ground vanilla.
0: Oh, where would you get that? I've never seen dry ground vanilla before.
1: There you go. Another Canadian woman in food. So this is a business that's owned by two women who import vanilla directly from Madagascar, Um, Inet and Nomina. They run a business called Vanilla and Spice. It is pure vanilla. Uh, They produce their, uh, they do all their processing of their vanilla beans in a gluten-free space, just if anybody's curious about it. And they produce extracts um, and they've got whole bean vanilla and they also have ground vanilla. So it's in a powder. Um, and it's got much more of a premium taste to it when you bake with it. And, of course, we're also alcohol-free in our house as well. So, uh, so this was perfect. Or if you happen to be a Muslim and you don't want to use alcohol in any of your baking, ground vanilla is the way to go. Huh. So, um, so a teaspoon of ground vanilla, and then it starts to get even a little bit more interesting from there. Um, Because we don't add any fruit, you can just take whatever fruit, extra fruit you have in your house. So, if you've got an apple or a pear, or I love frozen blueberries from the grocery store, right? So, just take a cup of frozen blueberries, like literally a cup, and just pour it out to a cup, and then get a lemon and uh, do a little bit of uh, lemon rind. So a little mm. bit of lemon zest. Um, and what you would do is you add your dry ingredient to the wet ingredient, okay? And then um, put in your lemon zest and then pour in those frozen blueberries. Just give it a few pulses just so that it blends throughout and then pour that out into a baking pan um, and bake at 350 for about 70 minutes and you will have a moist and delicious banana blueberry lemon lemon blueberry banana bread that is the easiest thing you've ever been able to crank out and no sugar and no sugar added wow and people will be like i can't believe that this is no sugar added um last week i made a peanut butter chocolate banana bread um and uh, i usually make two banana breads at a time and uh, also made a what i called a apple pie walnut banana bread oh yum yeah
0: hmm. so i guess there's just enough sugar in or yeah in the bananas themselves that you don't really need to add anything else that's right
1: i still there's- add the extra fruit in there yeah, um, because I like you know I like to to have the fruit, but yeah, in in that way you know you've got a great piece of, uh, of banana bread. You can either you know put butter or you know if if not everybody in the house is sugar free, you can spread some jam on there. Um, personally, I like to put a little honey after I fry up a slice in the morning with breakfast. I put yeah. a little honey on top.
0: I've Um, also heard that adding vanilla like you mentioned about adding the vanilla powder that adding vanilla to things makes things taste sweeter even without adding sugar that it just there's something about vanilla that makes something taste sweeter even if there isn't any sugar in it
1: yeah yeah it's the same it's the same sort of like one of those secret ingredients like um like uh uh, what do you call it instant coffee Mm. right so so in the um the 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 peanut butter chocolate banana bread that I made, I added a teaspoon of instant coffee into the dry mix because it's that coffee that actually boosts the cocoa powder in that recipe because the cocoa powder has got no sugar added to it. So you're probably thinking like, well, if there's no sugar added, how does it taste chocolatey? Mm -hmm. Well, the coffee actually boosts that, that chocolate flavor. So when you produce the, the bread at the end of the day, there's no, there's no taste of coffee, you right. know, yeah. um, but it, it gave the flavor of the boost. And that's the same way that the, the ground vanilla does for the overall bread. You get right. that smooth taste.
0: Yeah. I just bought some instant espresso powder the other day because I was all out. I'd run out and the I I like the espresso powder because it's so fine as opposed to instant coffee. The granules, they don't always distribute as well as you would want. But yeah, anytime I'm making anything chocolate, there's always a tiny little bit of coffee in there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I swear by it as well. It's that Nestle, the the Nestle uh, espresso version. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's golden. It's amazing stuff. Yeah, Yeah, it is. (laughs) Okay.
0: Well, thank you so much for sharing all your expertise with us. Tell us where um, people can find you online. Where can they follow you or find out more about uh,
1: Canadian Women in Food? Okay. Well, it's all one word. It's CanadianWomenInFood.ca. We are proudly Canadian. Um, We hope that uh, uh, if you're thinking about starting a business, we hope that you'll come and uh, check us out. If you already have a food business, we hope that you join us. We've got lots of great resources, just incredible connections. And if you're just curious about what women in food are doing, we actually do have a shop. You know, oh. we've got a shop on the website. We created a program we just launched um, in the spring of 2021, and it's called Gifts of Goodness. And uh, what we did is we curated uh, some gift boxes that are led by our members. So you can find their products there. And every box tells a story, helps to support a woman owned business, supports local Canadian, and 10% of it uh, goes to help uh, build community as well. So there's lots of goodness in a gift of goodness.
0: That's great. And you're on Instagram as well, right? At Canadian underscore women underscore in underscore food, (laughs) in underscores between the words, right? Canadian (laughs) women in food. Um, And Facebook as well
1: we're on facebook uh we're on twitter we've just uh we've just joined tiktok oh my oh. that's <laughs> a different too interview for do for tiktok i'm like
0: no 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 i can't do that <laughs> yeah i yeah
1: we're trying we're trying okay okay
0: Well, Cheryl, thank you very much for uh, the time with me today. And uh, and hopefully uh, we see we see a few more people uh, joining up in your organization, because I know that there are a lot of people, a lot of women out there who are looking to start food based businesses. So I'm sure you'll be a fantastic resource for
1: them. So thank you again. Well, thank you, Leslie. It was great being here on No Recipe Required and a lot of fun. Thank you. Okay. Thanks. Bye bye. Bye.
0: Thanks again to Cheryl for joining me this week. Please do follow Canadian Women in Food on all the socials. If you're not in Canada, Uh, I don't know if there's an equivalent in other countries, maybe it's your job to start one. But I think it just has lots of really interesting, uh, the organization has lots of really interesting resources and ways of connecting uh, women who are in the food space and giving them the resources uh, to help them uh, build and grow their business. So please do check them out. Um, You know, it's the beginning of a new year, 2022 maybe some of you are looking to start a food-based business. And so uh, those kinds of resources are available to you on their website. So please do check them out. Again, thanks to Cheryl and we'll talk to you all again next week.